Hey friends, we've got a kind of different show today. So often we're talking about ways in which we can find ourselves manipulated by religious wolves, folks that kind of trick us into things that that seem kind of silly, but uh, when you're in it, it's so easy to get sucked in, right? Well, we're talking about moral injury as it might apply to political life in 2020. These are really interesting times. Now, what we're facing is there are two candidates. We're assuming that there are going to be two presidential candidates, both having sexual assault allegations. Again, these are allegations, but they're serious allegations. And what we find is now that regardless of the person for whom you cast a vote, or if you don't cast a vote at all, that you might be implicated in something that happens that ain't so good, or a message that's sent out to the world that ain't so good. What do we do? Now, like friends, we're not minimizing the importance of moral injury as it emerges in the literature uh, for the social sciences, primarily about folks who have experienced combat. We first learned about this term moral injury from our friend Wayne Boyd, who we interviewed on episode 14 of season one. Wayne Boyd had served in the U.S. military as a chaplain and put together some materials related to suicide and the way to prevent suicide amongst combat vets. And so we do not want to detract from that. It's just that it seems that we may be in a situation where every one of us in the United States of America who is at all trying to engage politically will find ourselves having to be implicated in something that we find morally problematic. And we're going to do it for maybe moral and ideological reasons. But once we start to get to that spot, we're going to find that maybe there's a little bit of trust in the moral order of the universe that's eroded. We won't leave you there by the end, friends, but we've got a deep discussion to get into. We'll talk a little bit about how all this politics plays into the uh, responses to COVID-19. But most importantly, friends, I'm glad you're joining with us, even though uh, for those of you who are not really interested in dealing with questions of sexual assault, we mentioned abortion briefly, we mentioned suicide briefly. If those are things you don't want to even talk about, then maybe skip on to the next show. We're not going to dwell on those things. We're primarily just looking at this phenomenon we find ourselves in and the, the difficult dilemmas that we face in the political landscape these days. Thanks again for being with us. Let's go. All ahead, one third. All ahead, one third. Aye, aye. Stand by to dive. Diving stations. Dive. Dive. Welcome, friends, to the Protect Your Noggin podcast. We offer lessons in outfoxing religious wolves. And sometimes we will address emotionally difficult subjects. So make sure you pay careful attention to our descriptions of each of the episodes. And then also have some resources handy, such as the crisis text line. That's one of our favorites, which is 741-741. That's 741-741. Now, you just take a deep breath because we're not afraid to go deep. But don't worry because we'll also have some fun along the way. Our plan is to help us all resurface with insights and tools to help heal ourselves and our communities. So come along, because we got this. Well, Stacey, a lot of times people do not want to talk about politics, and that's exactly what we're going to do. We're going to do a little <laughs> bit of that, a little bit of religion. Yeah. Uh, this is, a, t- this is a, t- a tricky time. But a different kind of politics. We're not talking necessarily about, uh, we're not telling you how to vote, that's No, for sure. and, we're, <laughs> and we're not going to be partisan about this. We have our own political beliefs, and, and we'll be glad to share them uh, from time to time. But the problem that we face right now is one that no one seems to be talking about, and one that's incredibly significant. And that is that there is a connection between this concept that we, we learned from Wayne Boyd of of moral injury, mm-hmm. and that I had this thought as I was looking through specifically the Twitter feed for Tara Reed. I had this thought that 
we are facing a situation where the average voter and sometimes the average mid-level politician, potential vice presidential candidates, um, uh, the, uh, Congress people, mm-hmm. people in the media that just you know, have to support a candidate, they're going to be forced, if, if, these, if the two candidates stand, to endorse or vote for somebody who has significant, serious allegations of abuse of power and abuse of power in the context of sexual misconduct. Right. Now, let's leave aside whether the allegations are true. Not everybody has allegations against them of this nature. Right, right. And I think that's, that's the disturbing part, too, is that I, you know, sometimes you start to feel like Every, you know, you, everybody's got a dark side. Everybody's got their, their sins. They've got, you know, their faults, right? And sometimes it, it feels like um, we're almost like too willing to accept that, that it's always going to be really big things. Yeah. <laughs> you know? That's where we're at now. Yes. Yeah. And so, like, I mean, if I, there's a lot of men, I, I mean, and, you know, I, I guess I don't have private investigators on them or whatever. They just, I just don't think would disres- or um, sorry would take advantage of women or even be too touchy or it doesn't matter like or have you know they're just not going to be in a position where these allegations would be against them there are respectful people and i yeah. and it it seems like those people aren't making it into the top leadership of uh, politics. Last week, we talked about the idea that there's this false notion that all sins are equal. Right. We talked about the way that that gets politicized with this kind of, well, what about you? Mm-hmm. This to quoque fallacy, right. where we say, yeah, sure, my candidate has these very significant problems, but your candidate mm-hmm. does as well or has other flaws. And, and the idea that they're all the same is right. absurd. Right. We know that people make mistakes all the time as lawyers, but if they do certain things like break confidence, then they get disbarred. Right. There are all sorts of mistakes that a doctor could make in caring for you, but if they try to sell you a toxic, you know, mm-hmm. um, you know, or they prescribe you a toxic medicine that has no bearing on your ailment, ailment, but but is good for them financially, then that would be something that they could you know get bumped. So, so there's a different things. Well, what a, what a, here's the thing about a powerful person, a president. If the allegation against you is that you used your power <laughs> yes. advantage for some other personal gain, right. that should be disqualifying. Personal gain, or, yeah, exactly. <laughs> right? And, and, Making hurting, a mistake. and hurting other, using your power to hurt other people, right? Thinking that there were weapons of mass destruction in, in, in Iraq is a, is a mistake. Lying about it is something that should disqualify you politically, right? Right, and yeah, that that to me is amazing because these are the elite. We only need to pick one person in our entire country to mm. lead it for four years. Yeah. There is going to be one person in the entire country that doesn't have some of these very serious flaws and right. allegations against right. them. So let's keep trying to find the, this top elite. This is, yeah. the, this is the top elite for leadership. You don't, we don't, we don't allow it for our principals at our schools. Even, yeah. You know, I mean, we, if we know as much as what we know right now, we wouldn't allow that. And even for, in our pastors, you know, listen to me, I, I will, I will make this bold statement. Sometimes I don't want to. So, so uh, I'm really excited moving into the, uh, the role of chair of history and political thought at Concordia next year. Really excited about that. Connecting up with students. Um, and we're really going to be looking at, you know, what is it? What is it like now when we understand history and politics as a tool for our conversation about how we kind of regather our our new future, how we write these new chapters, how we make history? I'm excited about this sort of thing. But we are in this phase that is described by Lao Tzu as the as the moving away from the Tao into partisanship and into kind of as I see at the lowest level almost a breakdown, right? Chaos. Partisanship. Denial and and if we don't recognize this, if we can't just be honest about this with one another, then what's the point of having a conversation about political thought. Like, what is it, what does it really matter? Then right. it's just like, well, who, who's, who's the warlord in charge? But I'll tell you this, I would not want either Donald Trump 
or Joe Biden to be like an adjunct in a, in a, in a small, like small setting. I just like, I don't, I don't think, I don't think I, and I really believe this, this, maybe I'm totally wrong. I would have reservations unless I had other, you know, evidence to, to look at it. I would have very serious reservations about feeling that my students would be safe in close quarters with those two gentlemen. But they're going to run the country. Right. So now, so now, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. And now what you're thinking of, um, you know, the, the, the lawsuits that could be filed. <laughs> yeah, I'm just your, thinking your even, just, for your institution, even if I'm not right? a good like, guy, I don't want to have to deal with right. that. I don't want to have to deal with, right. you know, getting some complaint that comes up. And then, you know, I mean, it's not, that's not the way I see these sorts of allegations. So one thing, that's, so that's the main thing I, I want to point out with, in the beginning here is just that we have somehow been lulled into sleep or thinking that all these people are going to have some sort of dirt and so we kind of look good over too quickly you know we need to stop before that becomes the norm and the ex- what's accepted yeah you know if i mean unless you're you know condoning that behavior <laughs> um but if there's <laughs> you know, so then, right. then that's a whole different right. <laughs> question but i think that um perhaps there's and we've talked about it before and I just want to throw it out here some mind splitting going on where we are able to compartmentalize our expectations for certain things in different areas and so you've got you know certain expectations of how you behave and who your pastors are and how you interact with your church friends and then when you go out in to the rest of your life, <laughs> in quotes, you mm-hmm. know, then you've got your, your work associates and how you behave with them and how, you know, you hang out and what you say. And maybe you, you know, you cuss with them, maybe you have a beer with them. I don't know, you know, but then your boss has certain expectations there, but it's different than when you're pastor. And then, you know, you look at the community at large, you know, it just keeps right. going up to, up to politicians here. And now, you know, I guess these are the faults that they can have. And it's okay if there's some of these major allegations, I guess, but this is how they behave. This is, mm. this is what, how, this is what a politician is. Yeah. No. Like, right. Like why, like when why? do we think this is acceptable? And I think, and like I was saying, I'm looking at, I'm looking at the tweets against Tara Reid. And I, I realized, oh, this isn't just hypocrisy. This is what you and I, Stacey, are talking about all the time, mm-hmm. which is system justification theory, where we have this weird way of, of being able to ignore really problematic behaviors because we are so committed to the system itself, to this higher cause. And, and this is really important, so this, this, this idea, we're going to talk about this idea of moral injury, but basically what it looks like is if you are the vice presidential candidate for Joe Biden, let's say Joe Biden goes ahead with what he said and uh, gets a woman to be running with him, mm-hmm. a running mate. And that, let's say this woman is very strong on opposing domestic violence, d- opposing sexual uh, misconduct in the workplace. Let's say that's true. Mm-hmm. She would have to compromise, most likely, I would guess, compromise her integrity just a little bit to be able to run. But she might say, and I might think that she's doing the right thing, but she might say to herself, it's, it's good for the larger cause. Mm-hmm. Because I have so many good things to bring to the conversation, and I'll be the first woman vice president. I'm going to change the system. Sure, you're going to change the system. But what you're going to have to do to get there is you're going to have to tell 17-year-old women or the grandma that I sat next to on a plane who was shaking during the Kavanaugh hearings when we were watching the Kavanaugh hearings on the back of the little uh, seat you know, with the little mm-hmm. CNN was going mm-hmm. on. And again, whether or not Kavanaugh's allegations are real, whether or not the Trump allegations, whether or not the Biden allegations are real, the dismissal of those things was traumatizing to this grandma, right. traumatizing to some of my, my students. And when I saw the bullying of Tara Reid by people that didn't want anyone to screw up the Biden ticket, I realized, ah, it, it is crystal clear here. We love to make fun of churches that aren't um, able to address bad guys, wolves in sheep's clothing in their midst, predators in the midst. And I get it. I, that's what we do. We, we right. get frustrated by this, pissed off about it all the time. But people don't understand how, how can that be? Is it just that religious people are stupid? Is it just that they're Kool-Aid drinkers? Ah, Everybody's doing this. Everybody is 
everybody is, it's not just hypocrisy. I mean, the, the, the hypocrisy, look, it is hypocrisy. <laughs> the Democratic Party has, listen, we did not leave. I just, I, I just want to say, I won't, I won't speak for you. Can I speak for me and my political party? Just sure. so people can know. So, so for, for various reasons, I grew up in Orange County, California, which is kind of this conservative California Bible Belt. It's not L.A., it's not San Diego, it's O.C., right? It's Orange right. County, and is kind of all shifting over to Reagan when we first moved in, you know, into town. And um, disillusioned with the, what we thought of as the weakness of Jimmy Carter. Uh, to my knowledge, no allegations. But, <laughs> right? Like, but they're, like a, a nice guy, eh, <laughs> didn't like Jimmy Carter. So we, you know, a lot of evangelical Christians at the time in Orange County shifted over to the Republican Party. And what I was interested in is kind of the, the way in which some of that could kind of tie in with a, a kind of concern for freedom and limitations on statism and tyranny. That was to me, okay, I'm going to pick up on that part. Mm-hmm. And at some point down the line, that, that kind of libertarian side of things shifted over to an authoritarian side of things. Mm. To me, the exact opposite. Right. It's kind of what we talk about with Molech, right? Where the church got taken over by power when in fact it was subversive of cruel power. Mm -hmm. It it started to serve and worship the the spirit of Molech rather than the spirit of Christ. And yet it keeps the logo. So the, you know, so that's where I came from. So then I go and say, listen, I know that the Democrats don't have it all perfectly, you know, together, but I'm going to go as a refugee over and, and, and over time, I also changed some of my political views, come over to register as Democrat, even though at, at the deepest part of me, I, I like to think that I'm more of a kind of a local, like an anarchist kind of mm-hmm. guy. That, that's what mm-hmm. I'd love to see. I'd love to go, you know, live on something like the farm in Tennessee and, uh, and have a cooperative, uh, you know, organic existence. All right, that's what I'd like to do. But when you get into this world where we have these big corporations and we've got this international scene that requires larger diplomacy, I realize I can't be an anarchist. Purely, I can't be a libertarian purely. There need, the government needs to step in to at least deal with things like the fact that everything's getting automated and there's billionaires making tons of money and people can't afford to live, right? The workers in this corporation are having a hard time living, making ends meet, and then there's like trillionaires up on the other end. So I said, all right, I want to go to the people that at least are paying lip service to opposing these moral evils that I think that Christians should be concerned about, right? So you're making a compromise. Making a compromise. Well, I'd rather be radical and rethink the way we deal with commerce in general and the way we think about values in life. And I think that in many ways, sometimes the, the, the Democrats, for me, the, the compromise that I'm making is that they're not going far enough on some things. Mm-hmm. That in some ways, they're just a nice version of supporting the big corporations. Basically, to me, the difference is we're all getting our souls sucked out of us and we're all being enslaved by debt and we're all not really getting the benefits of what we're, what we're doing here in society. And you've got people that are saying, well, I'm going to tax you a lot and then I'm going to give you after school programs, but you're never really going to get out of this misery. Right. That's to me what right. the Democrat, that's why I never could get behind Democrats in the, the, the day when I was a kid. I'm like, the Democrats were, were, were spending a lot of money on programs that weren't really getting to the root of the problem. Gotcha. So at least if I go for more of a libertarian side of the Republican Party, then I'll say at least we can find other mechanisms that aren't relying on the state to address these social concerns. At some point, I got disgusted by so many of the folks that I was hanging out with in the Republican world that were just almost dismissive of the poor and the outsiders and right. the downcast. I Not thought, almost. We actually yeah, saw, we saw the, very, an, a very literal dismissive. Yes, 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 very, very dismissive. And I thought, oh, well, that was not what we signed up for. What I signed up for was I'm not going to trust the state to do this but we're going to get together and do this. Oh, no, we're going to make it uh, a sign of honor to degrade the environment. We're going to make it a sign of honor to make fun of, of uh, women and LGBTQ people and, think, and, and, yeah. and, and refugees, and we're going to be... No, like that's not my scene. So I leave that, and then I come over to the place where I say, well, at least I can feel good that in the Democratic Party, we're, we're going to be around people that at least pay lip service to the idea that we're not comfortable having a person with sexual, uh, sexual assault allegations being an... Wait a minute, we are? 
wait a minute, we're going to be bullying. We're, we're going to have people within this midst bullying an accuser. But we believed instantly the other accusers and From the then, other political party, yeah. The other political party. And then I thought to myself, wait a minute, maybe I shouldn't say something about how horrified I am about the response to Tara Reid's allegations against Biden because what if I have any small influence on people not voting for Biden and in the end that leads to Trump getting back in and we've got four more years of this like vitriol in society, right? Mm-hmm. Like, like that's where, and I said, I am, listen, I don't know where I'm going to go. We'll come back to it at the end of the show, but I am not comfortable. I am not comfortable leaving and coming over to the place it's supposed to be saying, we're not doing that. We believe women. And then all of a sudden we don't believe women. Yeah. I'm, I'm like, no, I'm done. I'm done being part of this kind of hypocritical group think, and I don't know what to do about it. Yeah. But if I realize I don't know what to do about it, I bet there's a lot of other people that don't know what to do about it. We're in conversation. We're in networks of a lot of people that are, that are folks that advocate for folks that have been through spiritual abuse, sexual abuse, physical abuse. And I am acutely aware that this has got to be a very, very difficult time. If it's hard for me... Right. I know there's a lot of people, it's got to be hard for them to say, why are people abandoning the voice of a person who's just trying to sincerely cry out? Now, if you say, I did all the research and Tara Reid's got all these problems, Uh, we looked into it a little bit. I I found her interview with Megyn Kelly, you know, straightforward. I I found it at least believable enough to, to not just dismiss it. But certainly believable enough that I know that if this had been another allegation about somebody right, else, that the, on the, other that side the Democrats have been fine with it. And I don't even care about the Democrats here. I have lost so much trust in the so-called journalists. Yeah. You know, <laughs> that's I'm like, another oh, story. Oh well, yeah. I mean, it is a. But it's like it's like the it, at least at first the absolute silence from CNN and MSNBC, and then, and then in the, a lot of the mainstream newspapers, uh, people saying, well, 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 I know that normally we... Like, yeah, the, the I, nation. I was, oh, it is we're very in, uncomfortable. We're in complete chaos right well, now. And I think that, I mean, part of the problem is, again, we're willing... We, we're but willing, moral chaos. I mean, we've got other yes, kinds of chaos, but yeah, yeah. you know, well, fortunately, there's not. Lots of chaos, I thought there'd be more yes. writing in the streets mm-hmm. after two months. You know, I think we, as far as apocalypses go, this is you know <laughs> at least relaxing compared to some. You know, I'm not running from napalm. You know, um, I mean, I, I joke about this because because in the Mallinson family, listener, if you don't realize this we've been basically getting ready for the apocalypse for a long time. So we've been living under this like. Not, not, not like preppers. We just, we kind of anticipated it. You know, you kind of follow in the Tao Te Ching saying, I guess we're at that stage with the Hindus called the Kali Yuga. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of watching. I'm going, I think we've got the signs of kind of uh, political and cultural decay that you can see and document in other collapsing societies. And I don't think that it's over, over, right? But, but, as, you, but as you look at this, then when this thing comes along, we're like, well, this is going to be a long, hard road. But it's, you know, it's not nuclear annihilation. That's mm-hmm. nice. And maybe this gets us a, a wake-up call for other things, you know. But, but as, I, as, I, as I look at all of, of that, uh, all of a sudden we're starting to feel like in the family, well, now we can relax because everybody else realizes it, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Yeah, and I think time. my stress is I don't know what to do about any of this right now. Um, there are some tips that we'll, that we'll talk through at the end, but... I do know this, it is not healthy for us not to be honest about it. And this is what I'm saying to the listener, dear listener, if you aren't like me, then go about your business, have yourself an ice cream, have a great time. But if you are saying to yourself, does nobody really care? I think it's more complicated than that. We're going to look at ways in which this is explainable. What we're going through is explainable through social psychology. But it's also not okay. Mm-hmm. It's also not good. And, and however, however you address this problem, you, you've got that love and that grace and freedom to say, you're, these are compromised times. These are compromising situations. But the one thing that you can't do for yourself or others is to allow people to deny truth, to have this kind of gaslighting That's of the left, sure. gas, gaslighting on the right. Now, let me just give you one example. This is very personal. One of the most difficult periods of my life came after um, uh, a, a brief segment that Dan Van Voris and I did on the Virtue in the Wasteland podcast, where we were talking about 
um, Aristotle's virtue ethics, and we were talking about applying it to Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. And um, it, but he was you know ascendant, right? So we were looking at this, and we were saying, and my and my point was that even if your person, even if your candidate is politically expedient in the short run, in the long run, it's dangerous to to take that compromise if they have severe vice. Mm-hmm. That is, if they're not virtuous people. It's okay for, for you to find people that make mistakes, but you want people to be truth tellers. Right, right. You want people to be stable. You want people to be courageous, you know, wh- whatever these things are, right? You could say, all right, well, he, he's bold, right? He's courageous, <laughs> uh, but maybe doesn't, doesn't stay on the truth as well, right? And I didn't know until that point, and this was, this was right when, um, when we had, uh, like, a couple of the, like, the people in the Republican Party had, had shifted away and said, no, I'm no longer supporting this guy. And I thought, I thought people were going to kind of leave Right. So you were support. basically you're gonna didn't know what the outcome would be, but yeah. holding Donald Trump up to the description of what's going well, yeah, on, just this up historic, to virtue ethics. Here are the virtues for Aristotle, method, right? right? And, and I didn't think I didn't think there was anything incendiary about that. And there were important people that were in in my networks and 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 affected my 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 livelihood. Mm-hmm. That uh, that one person in particular wrote me an abusive. Uh, wrote uh, us, uh, Dan and I, uh, a very abusive letter. I found it very abusive. And I had never experienced that level of kind of culty behavior in my life. And it, and it, it still has, like, to me, I would say it still has remnants in my bones. Mm-hmm. I still have, like, muscles in the back of my neck that I feel like I are finally able to release from that, that emotional onslaught of that. Right. It was kind of a minor thing, but it wasn't a minor thing because I realized... Oh, because here's what... Well, and then you were told to stay out of politics. Yeah, right. Like, okay, but that's... You can't even... Yeah, well, that's... You can't even talk about the truth anymore. Yeah, right, right. Well, wait a minute. I'm doing a show called Virtue in the Wasteland. We're talking about religion, culture, and politics, and and, and virtue ethics, right? And and Dan was, uh, you know, a (laughs) historian. Yeah, that's that, right? right? History prof. Yes. History and political thought prof, right? right? So, like, that's kind of what we're doing. Okay, that's fine. But here's what I was... Here's why I thought nobody would care about this because when when we had uh, George Bush in in power we all made fun of George Bush mm-hmm. my republicans friends we made fun of George Bush mm-hmm. i didn't realize that all of a sudden something had changed in america where you're not allowed to be objectively critical of, of, uh, of any leader of any leader of, you know, of a person of a, of a group right and then without that group just right. hands it's almost just go and attack. Yeah. And that's their, just, it's a bully, it's get, a bully yeah, mentality, right? right? And, and all of a sudden I realized everybody's starting hill, to do it. pack mentality. Think about it. It's like the yeah. coyotes. They'll all gather around, right? Yeah. And they'll just circle around you. Shortly after that, I'd say things like, you know, hey, like, can we not be cool with white nationalism and fascists? And then everybody, people start getting angry at that. Yeah. Like, oh, oh. We well, got, well, I mean, they weren't like defending white nationalism and fascism, but they like, it, they, you know, they, they'd get all worked up. But I'm saying, yeah. You got you, bombarded with, you know, social yeah. media, um, you know, abuse, essentially. Yeah, oh, yeah. I mean, it was, I wouldn't say it was exclusively the political side of things, but it was, it was that in conjunction with the, with the religious stuff that led to the split, to the place where we said, you know, last season where, you know, one or both of our kids are kind of on strike. Mm-hmm. from our church body mm. and just won't go right on strike because of the of of Absolutely. that that self protection say hey I don't want to be a part of any of any of that conversation right when, well when <laughs> when your church people are treating you like that I don't yeah. I don't need those for people for going in against the dear leader that's not like that's saying <laughs> to Corinthians no, right like so I'm he's laughing, you know but it's right not funny. It's, well, it wasn't yeah. funny to me no. wasn't funny to my friend Dan all I wanted people to do is to say, it might be that your strategy is to get somebody in power that's going to put Supreme Court justices in place that are going to be helpful for your larger cause. You're making a compromise for four, four to eight years, but the long-term effect is going to be important to you. Whether or not the justice of those causes is agreed upon by you, dear listener, doesn't matter. That's a, that's a morally reasonable and mature thing to do, right? Mm-hmm. What changed was this idea that you would then identify something that somebody did, and because of that big cause, you simply erase it, maybe worse, you high-five it, 
mm-hmm. right? So you got evangelicals high fiving, kind of uh, the kind of gross sexual language mm-hmm. that you know used to be telling us that we're not allowed to watch, you know, like YouTube rattle and hum because they cuss. You know, mm-hmm. like we're not allowed to like make out on a date, but. You know, eh, the guy said, let's grab somebody by the crotch. All right. I don't want to like pile onto this one, but I thought that people that I knew that were intelligent people, I thought that they would be able to say, oh, I see. Um, You have a problem with these vices, these visible vices. Okay. And that's enough for you to say, I just can't be supportive at all. Okay. And I choose to do the other. I'm going to hold my nose and, you know, vote. Right. Like, you know, that's people have done that forever. Okay. I get it. Right. And then I said, okay, I'm done with that. I don't want to put up with that. And now I find myself in this situation where people are doing it again. They're doing it now in the, the democratic party. And I am. I am just so dang fed up with that kind of behavior. And the most important thing again is that we don't give the big message to people in our civilization, in our culture, mm-hmm. that that this is long-term okay. Right, right. Right? Like, Dietrich Bonhoeffer has, a, you know, kind of great way of describing it, um, uh, of kind of like as this implicated resistance. You are implicated in the system. You shouldn't be assassinating your uh, Führers. Right. Okay? But you shouldn't have let the Führer get into power. Right. Okay? So he's gonna, he's going to be a part of a conspiracy. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was part of a conspiracy through the Obfair the uh, group of folks within Germany that were going to try to overthrow Hitler and assassinate Hitler. And Bonhoeffer's coming at this as a pacifist, so his values are generally, I'm a pacifist, so I don't want to uh, you know, do this. But there are times when it's actually immoral for me not to do it. Right. So I've got to do a small immoral thing. And he still called it kind of basically immoral. He said, you've got to do this and then ask for forgiveness. <laughs> but it's better to do, this is from his ethics, paraphrasing Bonhoeffer's ethics is basically it's better to do a bad thing than to become an evil person. Mm-hmm. So I think this is an important point because, okay, you're talking about voting yeah, and first and foremost, you have to wrestle with, do I vote or do I not vote? Because voting to you can be so, you know, if you're putting a stamp of approval on any candidate period, right? you know, so maybe the way that you can send a message is by not voting at all. Right. But then there maybe feels like ah, there's something not quite right about that either. Well, it just feel right. Like not voting is what puts the other person in, in power. In power yeah. Right. So right there is a moral injury. Yeah. Vote or not vote. Okay. Yep. And then if you, okay, now you're, that's first, first and one. foremost right, a moral right, injury. Now right. the second part is another moral injury of which candidate do you choose? Mm. Because you feel like in different ways you're supporting something that isn't acceptable. Mm-hmm. Right. And now I think it would be a great time to make sure we, I, I define moral mm. injury. Yeah, that's really good. Let's <laughs> right? do it. Yeah, yeah. Because you've talked so, a right. lot about it. And so it's deeply traumatizing because you're implicated in either action and then that gets internalized as if now you're a bad person like what yeah. if now do you have to answer before god yeah. you know that that you that you did this behavior mm-hmm. that you know you chose what you know whatever it was mm-hmm. but you felt like you didn't really have a choice in the matter mm-hmm. right and this is a tool of evildoers gangs and warlords they'll take they'll take some kid rip him out of his village, put a machine gun in his hand and say, go gun those people down right. or you die. So now you've got a stormtrooper. You've got like one of the people that has been brought into your little army of evil and they feel evil because they've done evil. Right. And the, the problem with it is it, it, they lose trust. They lose, you know, all around and it can be completely lost or it could just be diminished. And they, you know, and they really think that it is now like their character now almost even sometimes that it was like always flawed because like your, your good character would be something that you should be able to hold all the way to the end if it was developed properly. And mm-hmm. then if now you're a bad character, mm-hmm. then maybe that's your story. Yeah. And that is d- deeply, deeply traumatizing. That's something I've always said for the kids. I, I, I hope that they live long and prosper, but the one horror that sometimes scares me in the, you know, in the years to come is what if society gets to a spot where they're forced to become bad people mm-hmm. and, and kind of get to the end of their life and, and not be happy with their story, but in a way that they didn't really have a lot of other options. Right. 
That's, I just that that would injury. be and and that's that's why we can say no to things and also have deep compassion for folks that are in gangs, are in, you know, uh armies that are committing atrocities mm-hmm. and yet say no to those atrocities. Mm-hmm. It's the great it's the great human tragedy. I mean, mo- how many armies have been filled with people that wanted to be there? <laughs> that's, well, yeah. there's sometimes like, you know, America's a different kind of thing. We got a volunteer army. There's a lot of times that people just, you know, whether they it's get Genghis recruited, Khan, right? It's the way of survival often, you know, it's the the death star, you know. Yeah. <laughs> right. So I want to mention on a couple of these articles here. Um, there's one just briefly with uh, Porter and Haslam, and it's uh, pre-displacement and post-displacement factors associated with mental health of refugees and internally displaced persons, a meta-analysis. And that was in, this is in the Journal of the American Medical Association. And it says that there's lasting psychological, biological, spiritual, behavioral, and social impact of bearing witness to acts that transgress deeply held moral beliefs and expectations. So there's all these serious things that happen mm-hmm. just from bearing witness, you know, yeah. whether or not you actually have to push the button or tick the box, right? Yeah. Um, it's, it gets into your system, right? It brings like a nihilism into your yeah. soul. It, 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 it's soul crushing, literally, yeah. Yeah. There's another article. Well, I don't know, literally, right? Like, <laughs> well, okay, you're still looking not at literally, literally. Very, very precisely. But there's, I guess it, it, it's so many facets of, you know, if it's psychological, biological, spiritual, behavioral, it's like almost, it feels like it infects most of the entirety of the person. What else? Yeah. Is, you know, what does it leave out, yeah. really? Yeah, if we know? want to call soul that, uh, you, you know, know? The, the animating part of all that, yeah. Well, yeah, and spirituals in there too. Yep. So there's another article here where Mildred Antonelli, um, if in the American Journal of Psychoanalysis, and this is in 2017, um, she explains uh, moral injury as a, a core component of trauma occurring when one's actions have profoundly violated one's code of ethics, when one has been a victim of such violation. Or when one has been a passive witness. The literature shows violation of expected empathy from and for others inherent in our nature is more devastating than violation of the ethical code of our culture or subculture. Adherence to which becomes urgent as our need emerges to belong to the culture or subculture of which we are a part. Values which often contradict our innate sense of what is right. I think what... What you were feeling there um, when you were mentioning about you know that that empathy piece that mm-hmm. that was more I think devastating to you. Not only did you think that there was you know with the whole Tara Reid situation, not only was there this violation of an ethical code of some form, right. but the fact that the empathy that you would have expected. Yes. Been there oh, I didn't think party. of that. Yeah. yeah, and that was more devastating to that you. That upset me than even just the moral code part of it. I right? felt like I felt like an illusion had been shattered, and I, I'm sure all my Republican friends will laugh like, "Ha ha ha!" They were always hypocrites, but you know, it, yeah that 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 absolute disregard for this human person, yeah, and, and what she might have been going through in the name of something else is is yeah. Devastating. Yeah, because you thought that that this is what you champion. This is what right. this, this is who you are. I right? thought we were on team people. Okay. I thought we were on, yeah. <laughs> so then, then you have to then you have to pause and say, okay, yeah. what team really are you on then? And yeah. what you know, what is this all about? So, kind of, I think this one. There's one article where I think it was pretty clear of laying out exactly what moral injury was, and and that was with Jonathan Shea. It was titled "Moral Injury," and it was in the Journal of Psychoanalytic Psychology, and that was in 2014, but. He basically says moral injury is a betrayal. So A, a betrayal of what's right. B, by someone who holds legitimate authority or even a decision that you make, okay? Mm. Or, or something you have to do. Click that box. Um, and C, in a high-stakes situation. And it takes all three of those things to then feel moral injury. Mm-hmm. And I think right now we're in one of those situations where it's high stakes. It is high stakes. Because what's happening with our country coming up, right? Like, I mean, the new leader or, and you know, and even the leadership of our country period right now during this very, very difficult time, right? Life and death stuff all over. And so super high stakes. And now you're forced to make a decision that you don't feel good about no matter what you do. Mm Mm-hmm. 
And, you know, again, we're saying that this is a mild form. There's maybe analogous yeah. things going on. Maybe, you know, folks would say, ah, that's, that's overreaching to call it that. But for those of us who do think they're high stakes, for those of us who recognize the connection between the way we vote and how we're going to deal with potential famine in Africa, how we're going to deal with ongoing you know, displacement of people, how we're going to deal with people out of work. These are life and death situations. So how we choose to vote, how we choose to support people with our money and time is going to have real world effects. Right. And for those of us who are acutely aware of that, this is going to be, this is going to be, I think, something like this moral injury. And how does it differ from PTSD? Yeah, PTSD is when there's an actual physical threat. It's very similar, but then um, what's at stake there is your security. Mm-hmm. Whereas what's at stake here in moral injury is your trust. So it's when people internalize and think that now th- they their character is now worse, that they are now a bad person because they did this. And if you know, and if every time you look around and you're forced to make you know sort of a lesser of two evils type decision and constantly mm-hmm. compromise, you know, then there is there is that. Um, you know, sometimes that ability to think like, oh, well, there's no hope, right? Mm-hmm. And that might as well just continue down this path. The moral order is shattered. And I, and I think that if we're, if we start to feel that way, we should, you know, stop and give pause because I think we do have certain agency in certain areas. And I think we should be aware of how we can also then look to see where change is needed and what can we do to be a part of that. And rather than just accepting that this is the case, right? Mm-hmm. Or feeling that you have to deny that it's the case so that you don't feel the guilt, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, that I think we, we would do harm to just sit and be bystanders to it all mm-hmm. and think that there there isn't something that we should be doing differently. And most importantly, even if we have to hold our nose and vote a certain way, I think it's really important to remind ourselves and to remind young people that are watching us that maybe we, you know, they're, they're watching how we respond politically to be very clear, to be very honest and say, I'm not comfortable with my options and here's why I'm doing what I'm doing. Here are the moral decisions that I have to make. These are the sorts of things you're going to have to do your whole life. Mm-hmm. That is, you're going to have to weigh difficult decisions. You're going to have to balance values, one value versus another. Uh, That said, you know, there's people like Jacques Ellul, a Christian anarchist, for instance, who would say, we shouldn't be voting ever because it's just legitimizing a system that's garbage from the beginning. I'm not sure I can go there, but it's a compelling argument because what the, the reason the radical reformers, the Anabaptists of the 16th century refused to vote is they said, we're not part of that kingdom. Yeah, yeah. Right? I mean, went a lot of voting going on back then. But I'm saying, like, over time, Anabaptists don't swear oaths. Uh, they don't, you know, fight in the army and that sort of thing. They they don't entangle themselves in the system for precisely this reason. Yeah. Right? And I think I think there's at least something, there's something compelling about it. There's something that is consistent about it. Mm-hmm. And maybe, maybe we need a little bit more backbone. Maybe we need a little bit more um, thinking about how we could impl- implement that. But at the current reality that we find ourselves in, we're, we're still in that mix. And it also has bled into the way that we're responding to COVID-19. Think of it this way. If, if the politics part isn't connecting with you, listener, think of it this way. It's life and death when we think about the political issues of the local government opening or closing a beach. Open the beach, people are going out, they're hitting Chipotle on the way, they're, they're picking up a, a, a crowler, uh, which is like a little can growler, right, from the <laughs> local brewery, keep them alive. So you're, you're keeping people employed, giving people meaningful lives, work, good, that's a good thing. Not going and getting the, those the food and things is going to hurt the economy. Maybe pe- people are going to lose their jobs. Mm-hmm. That's a bad thing. Maybe people have severe um, you know, emotional distress because of losing their job. That's a very serious thing. So if I don't go shopping, 
Right. If I don't go out and do those things, maybe I'm a bad person. Maybe I've hurt them. Mm-hmm. But if I go out and I pick up the virus, if I become a vector for this thing and I give it to my uh, elderly aunt and she dies, now it's a life and death decision that I've made. These are not really great no. options. And I think in any of those situations, it's just good to go with your eyes open and say, this is what I'm doing. I'm free. I'm living in a context of grace and freedom to do what I think is the right thing to do. But what we can't allow to happen is for us to internalize this this groupthink that forces us into decisions where we don't have agency. Right. Right? I am going to take a risk. We recognize that we're going to take a risk because our daughter-in-law works at a grocery store. Right. She is going to be more exposed um, and we're just going to come to terms with that. And, and we for make, that reason, you know, whenever we're in public, right. we will wear a mask because right. we never know if we're asymptomatic. Or... Right, right. So, so we're, we're, we're going to say, okay, uh, this is how we're going to proceed. Um, but, but not being honest about things right. and allowing political interests to change the way we think about normal human decency is what's really scary. You walk down, we, you know, we go hiking. Mm-hmm. And what do you notice with, like, with the, like the politics of uh, like masks? <laughs> There's definitely people that are you know, clearly wearing masks. There are others that you know, clearly aren't. And they'll even almost laugh you know, if they see us with our masks. You know? Yeah, um, or, well, and ridicule. Yeah. They'll be almost, you know, they're angry because they're saying, oh, you're, you're in, you know, inducing fear. But then again, there's the other folks that are going to tell, you know, tell the police if your you know, family of six is having a picnic too close to right? the side of the right. poolside or you know, whatever. Right. So people are going to be factors in your moral decision making. Mm -hmm. And especially if you're a parent or a leader or whatever, a little bit of sobriety right now in our mad, mad times, our politically drunk times would be really nice. And saying to your family, here's why we're choosing this route. Yeah, and honesty and recognition of the truth. Um, Talk it through. Yeah, we're taking a risk here because we'd rather support local business so that everything doesn't collapse and we're going to go to the beach, we're going to be responsible. But, I mean, it's kind of like this this idea, especially, uh, you know, as we get so polarized. um, Okay, um, what about some compromise positions like we're going to slowly open the country because we're all going to be decent human beings and we're going to be respectful of each other. We're not going to get all violent. We're not going to be, you know, bullying each other. We're going to open up slowly and steadily with a good plan and we're going to uh, respect people's fears by putting on a mask, mm-hmm. but we're out out in the sun. Wouldn't that be nice? A little bit of that would be really nice. But what I fear is going to happen is there's going to be irrational behaviors that are based on vitriolic political nonsense. Sometimes probably, I wouldn't be surprised if foreign powers, Russia, China, are infiltrating our social media by trying to egg us on to make us unhealthy. That's entirely possible to sow disinformation on both sides so that it just does what we've got ourselves into right. now. Well, the breakdown of morals, the breakdown of truth. Yeah, the big breakdown of truth and, and what we even consider to be facts or whether or not we trust science. It's just, mm-hmm. or whether or not, yeah. I mean, how how are people going to spin information, you know, in such a way that it supports their cause, you know, whether it's the denial of truth or, I mean, I, well, of course, there's always the <laughs> truth in some form, right? But, yeah, but I mean, but not, yeah. not in but the it, way that we've, like, you know, the moral injury has, has said, like, there is no trust in a moral order. Mm-hmm. And I think the same thing has happened epistemologically, that is the, the theory of knowledge. Like, because of partisanship, there is no right and wrong, there is no true or false. And even though I'm such an easygoing guy, you know, surfing the Dow, trying to see everybody's perspective, I think there's only one truth. And I think right. all of our constructs need to shatter on it. Like, like you know, those little balls, the little baubles you put on the, on the Christmas tree when you drop them on the ground. They sh- yeah. Yeah. That's, your, that's your ideology. That's your construct. And when it hits the, the cold, hard concrete, that concrete or that rock, that solid thing, that's truth. And truth is understood from various perspectives, but it also has a way of, of working itself out. The question is, are we on with it? Are we flowing with it? Or are we resisting it? One thing I want to mention, too, in Shay's article, where he talks about uh, how does moral injury change someone? 
And, mm, and it okay. says it deteriorates their character, their ideals, ambitions, and attachments begin to change and shrink. Both flavors of moral injury impair and sometimes destroy the capacity for trust. And I guess what I want to point out there is, so it deteriorates their character, ideals, ambitions, and attachments. And I think that that's where, it, especially you know, with the attachment part, I feel like we start to... You know that empathy is lost, right? Yeah. That, that we—they're not people anymore that we are, you know, against or that we're, you know, hey, we start to break down, and it, we've moved into, I guess, just divided to different teams, and you don't even and think, hatred and hatred and don't even think of people as yeah. they're not people anymore. The they're just of love. the enemy. They're yeah. the enemy. And those that have this article continues to explain that those that have. Uh, been uh, impacted by moral injury um, and it's not treated that sometimes suicide incarceration uh, crime itself domestic political terrorism happens and these are all like you know it might be expensive to help people with their moral injury but it's mm. really expensive they were talking about that, that in the article where when this is the result of it like mm. first of all it's tragic mm. and second of all um, those things cost a lot of money in society as well and so if we think that or ignoring it is easier or not dealing with it is easier the effects as it gets more and more ingrained in us it just it gets more and more traumatic um, destructive and it does cost money, <laughs> so yeah. it's like you, you yeah. know, we don't do you don't do well to just ignore it and think that that that's the better option. Mm-hmm. Now, again, friends, really, we do not mean to hijack this concept of moral injury to take away from the important work that folks are doing with our veteran community, right. and that it's important for all of us to get behind the importance of of understanding that aspect of the injuries that you cannot see mm-hmm. when people come back from, uh, from the field, right? right? Uh, when they're in the service. Uh, at the same time, just like it seems that we are in a state where the entire nation is being gaslit by the media and politicians, I think the entire, me- the entire country, unless we come up with another option, is going to be in a state where we might be facing a kind of minor moral injury yeah. for all of us. And that's going to have a, a bad effect on, on the whole nation. And I'd say that, you know, it is possible that you could have more um, great conversations with your family and friends about boycotting the elections as just a, as a statement or getting rallied behind a third party candidate or getting rallied around the idea that you're going to petition the RNC or the DNC to do something in our precarious times and fix the problem by getting together. I don't know. Don't they have a bunch of old... What happened to the, to the dudes with the cigars that are all scheming this stuff? They can't be, uh, they can't be paying attention, can they? Are they playing video games? I mean, at least, at least in those days when the corrupt cronies got together, they'd, they, you know, they'd put somebody in that had you know, a coherent plan. Yikes, it's a, yeah. a side issue. But regardless of what we do, what we do is we know that we also go into this with deep compassion for ourselves. That... We're not saying that we want to put more guilt on you. No. We're trying to say, if you're feeling that guilt, you're not alone. If you're feeling that sense of unease about having to support um, people because of a political expediency that also come with some very serious side effects, you're not alone. And if you're a young person or an old person who has been through a situation where somebody behaved towards you the way the two political contenders, the two main political contenders allegedly behaved towards others. And you're upset that people aren't saying more. Or if you're that person who doesn't understand why Christians or, or, you know, yoga sects don't see what's wrong with their leaders we need to be very alert and wary, keep our wits about us, but also recognize that this pattern is very common. Mm-hmm. We don't want that moral injury. We don't want to be implicated in it. So the best thing we can do is ignore it. This goes back to that social, I'm sorry. It that's, go, that's what it, we tend to do. It's not, it's not the best thing to do. Mm-hmm. It, it go, but it goes, no, it's a terrible thing to do. It, it perpetuates the problem, but it goes back to that systems justification theory and so if it can happen in your 
political party, friends, if you're political at all, if, if you're a political person at all, you've got a problem right now. Right. And the way you're responding to the problem is probably not the way you'd like to be. I think that there are really decent people that didn't respond well to the, to the terror read allegation against Joe Biden. Mm -hmm. Again, don't know how that thing's all going to play out, but there are people that I can guarantee you did not respond well, that did not respond badly because they're evil people. So if you responded in a way that now that you're thinking about it, you don't feel good about it. That's all right. Right. Just, just discern it, confront it, recognize it so that we can see it. Why does this happen for everybody in all these groups? And again, it's that, it's that, Noticing it, starting starting to watch it, starting to you know witness that this is happening. Don't just be a a, a pawn in, in the whole system with a mindless pawn without thinking through what's going on here. And don't I, I, we we can't accept that we, we still have to protect truth, guys. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, How about this? That's what I, we, we, I mean, yeah. what does it mean? I mean, we denying that bad things aren't happening doesn't help anything. And you, then you, you don't know what to believe. You mm-hmm. don't know what to do. I mean, my, my sister's like, even just in our, in our texting and, and, and stuff. And they're like, I, I'm so confused. Do, should we be outside? Should we not be outside? Do we, right. should we get support places? Do we eat in restaurants? Should we just stay out? You know, like what, what Confusion do we do? Because nobody, I mean, there's no integrity. It seems in, in our news reporting or in the, not no, but it's very difficult to discern and weed out those that are lacking integrity in their yeah. reporting and, and, and in their, their news yeah. casting and writing. So maybe maybe a way of saying it is accept that a lot of this is unacceptable. Yes. Yeah. That's the first part. <laughs> yeah. And if you have people underneath you, young ones that you're taking care of, um, and they're asking questions, be honest with them about some of this and, and, and help because they're seeing the discrepancies. Work through it with them. You know? Yeah. And, and, you know, have a family conversation. I'll tell you, if I was a kid that had folks that were walking me through the moral decision-making, even if I ended up changing political angles when I got older, I would always respect my parents for giving me that agency. And I invite all of you listeners to do that with all the folks around you. Mm-hmm. Empower each other. Right. Empower each other. And I say this, do not lose heart. Yes. It, it, one of the things that it breaks our hearts, that moral injuries of all sorts going on in society break our ability to have compassion and empathy for others. That, that's, a, that's a heartbreaking thing. But do not lose heart because even though this stuff's unacceptable, it's not over. Right. And I think right now, if we're dismantling an illusion, mm-hmm. it might need to be dismantled. Yeah. And then from there, once you have the awareness of what's going on, then we can rebuild uh, you know, or, 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 or make a new. <laughs> yeah, we've know? been talking about this and we'll, <laughs> um, we'll be doing that more in the future. But, but we were saying, yeah, like rebuilding isn't probably what we need. If the, you, know, you don't want to, if the system broke or yeah. is breaking, why do we want, you know, it's, I think about this, okay, I don't know where you all are, you know, <laughs> listeners of where you live, but if you're in an area where every year you have to rebuild your home because of an, a hurricane, mm-hmm. I think it's time to consider, you know, changing the game up. <laughs> right. And, and so do you, do you see yeah. where I'm going? Oh, with yeah, this? Yeah. If like, it's a fire or like, if, you know, at some point, what's the point of, of rebuilding what, where it's not working and, yeah. and why are we fighting against the system in that way? And so if we have certain, if we notice certain collapses and things like that, why are we constantly trying to rescue, um, the same system or the same yeah. big companies over and over and over again? Something isn't working. Working. We, you know, we need to restore, re- recreate, right. revision, revise, rethink, reframe. There's a re something. Yes. But rebuilding, that'd be like the Tower of Babel. Like over maybe, and over again maybe and, that wasn't. Yeah. But Brent, this is the thing. This is the thing. Once you see the monsters, you yeah. kind of like poke at them, keep them bay. Yeah. Then you don't have to worry. They're also not as yeah. They're not as big as what you realize, and you can you know you understand what you're working with. And you can spread the love even now, and you can see amazing changes. Just like the the, the coronavirus spreads person to person, spread a little bit of love yes. person to person. And as you share peace, you start to really bathe in it. 
And then that is where you find deep peace upon peace. Thank you so much, friends, for joining us for this episode of the Protect Your Noggin podcast. You want to join in on the conversation? We'd love to respond to your questions or comments on a future show. You can record a message by going to protectyournoggin.org and clicking on the blue voice message button. And don't worry about getting it perfect since you'll have five minutes and a chance to preview your message before sending. You can also send an email if you're not comfortable with leaving a voice message. Please also follow us on Twitter at the PYNP. And rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you found this show of any help, uh, why not share it with a friend? Until next time, peace upon peace, friends. But he said there wasn't any letter. He said I was going out of my mind. Not going out of your mind. You're slowly and systematically being driven out of your mind. Why? Why? That's because you found this letter low too much. Hey there, friends. In our travels across the U.S., we have found a website that we absolutely love. It's called Harvest Hosts. Could you imagine camping overnight in a vineyard, distillery, brewery, or a golf course all to yourself? We've been doing it, and it is absolutely magical. If you go to our website, protectyournoggin.org, you'll find a link where you can sign up and get 15% discount on the annual fee. We think it'll put a smile on your face, and you can help support the podcast at the same time. All you need is an RV or camper with a toilet and cooking facilities, and you can stay all around the country for free. We hope you dig it as much as we do. Check it out.